a listener production. Hi, and welcome back to Broadsheet Melbourne Around Town. I'm Broadsheet's editorial director, Katja Vaktel, and the host of this guide to Melbourne. You can see some of the world's most iconic photos at a new exhibition at the NGV right now, and we're speaking to NGV curator Susan Van Wyck about it in just a few moments. But first, we've got some big news about two Australian bars. The who's who of bartenders descended on Singapore last week for the announcement of the world's 50 best bars, And we had two Australian bars named in the top 50, which was really exciting. National editor Michael Harry joins us to talk about what makes the Melbourne inclusion so special. And we'll also chat about a few of the other winners. First of all, the world's 50 best list. Do we care? And if so, why? I think we care when we, when an Australian venue is on the list, we really care. It's kind of like that. If a visiting celebrity or whatever comes to Australia, like, what do you think of us? Yeah. It's like that. We like to know that our bars are as good as the world stage, which of course they are. Yeah. And I think that this competition in particular as well, if we weren't included, we'd just say, oh, it's really exclusive or it's fine. Like it's, you know, it's just one competition, but it's a pretty important one in terms of that global uh, influence, I think. This is probably the 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 list. I mean, there's a different list every day, but this is certainly one of the ones that is looked at around the world by, you know, chefs and restaurant and bar people. Do you think as well, of course, the world's 50 best, people might be familiar with it from the world's 50 best restaurant list, Mm. which over the years has been, you know, as time's worn on, accused of being too exclusive and only only featuring fine diners. Mm. I get the sense with the look of the bar list, it's not quite, it's not quite as uh, high end as that, that there Mm. is more diversity among the definitely. inclusions? Well, definitely from the Melbourne inclusion. You know, there are a lot of kind of highfalutin cocktail yes. concoctions with, you know, dry yeah. ice and bizarre glasses. And, and you're stuff, probably not going to get a dive bar in there. Well, I mean, Caretaker's Cottage okay. is probably Let- as close as you're going to get on the list to a dive bar. Okay, let's talk about then the Australian inclusions. Uh, we'll start with Melbourne's and then we'll go maybe very quickly to Sydney because yes. maybe, Sammy, the... Sydney Bar just seems to be getting higher and higher on that list every year. But let's start with Caretakers. So it came in at number 23, solid in the middle of the the field of the 50. And it's only been open for a couple of years. uh, And it's literally a caretaker's cottage. It's at the back of Wesley Church in the middle of the city in Melbourne. And it was the caretaker of the church's little house. Um, And so they've taken it over and turned it into a bar. It's, It's tiny. They actually call it more of a pub. And it's a little brick squat kind of triangle roof Mm. thing out the back of the church. And there's this beautiful kind of courtyard surrounding it where people kind of spill out. So on on a sunny day or even not so sunny in Melbourne, you'll find people all all sort of around the cottage. And there's just two rooms inside, um, one for sitting and then one which is more kind of the bar area. So how many people at any one time could? Not many. It's kind of like one group can like you know, lift or destroy the balance of this place. (laughs) I think maybe like, I don't know, 30 people fit in. Yeah, It's like paisley wallpaper on the walls. You can imagine the caretaker kind of like coming down the stairs at any moment. Um, Uh, But yeah, it just keeps it really simple and it's just a great time and everything is considered and beautiful and the people who run it are so lovely. Tell us about the people. Three guys, uh, Rob Leakins, Ryan Narikis, and Matt Sterling. And they actually ran a place, uh, pop-up uh, a few years ago called Fancy Free. Yeah, which then also in the CBD. Also in the city. Really and they're, they're kind of, uh, I think, salty old bar guys. Or not not that old, but um, they, they've had a lot of experience, but it's all kind of come together in this beautiful alchemy at Caretaker's Cottage. And they've just like been very uncompromising, I think, about what they want to do, which is have great music, great drinks, but not too many drinks and not mm. too fancy drinks. 
and just a few snacks. And, you know, people love it. People flock. Yeah. You, I feel like you go there quite a bit. So what, yeah. do you have a drink of choice when you go there? It was one of those places where I walked in and thought, you know, when you're just like, I just want to bring everyone I know here. And like, yeah. I'm planning already oh, like that. of of who, who I'm going to bring there. And fun fact, I actually had to look after a recipe writer, Alison Roman, uh, earlier this year on like a day of like showing around Melbourne. And I'm like, where do I take it? I'm taking her to caretakers. Because um, it's the kind of place you want to show off to visiting yeah. people. And it is and it is the kind of place, I mean, I think Melbourne does bars so well, mm. but there are a lot of great bars around the world. Caretakers is pretty singular. Yeah. You know, you're not going to stumble across that in most places. Mm. You, you have to know that it's there. It's kind of around the back. It's, mm. it's you know, not a laneway, but it's it's hard to find. Um, so and do you have a favourite drink when you go? Favourite drink? Well, look, they do three things. They always have... Guinness on tap yeah. and they always have punch, like various different like flirty, fun punches. And you just imagine that kind of ladle of the punch. Do uh, they actually ladle it out? Uh, I don't think they <laughs> ladle it, but it's it's kind of fancy punch. But yeah. that's how they kind of do their cocktails. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, some natty wines, lots of natty kind of mm. little drops. But yeah. it's the kind of place where they'll make you anything that you ask for. Yeah. And I think that they're known for uh, having Melbourne's coldest martini as well, which, which I like because martinis need to be really cold. I see. I see. Yeah. So it's that's quite a different vibe then from maybe Sammy, which is the other Australian bar that was in the top 50 and came in at 15 this year. So mm. it's highest ranking yet. I think it's been on the list for five years at yes. this point. I mean, the way that 50 Best works is it's it's got a kind of coterie of kind of judges that are mm. all anonymous. There's about 400 of them yeah. around the world and they have to submit every year the, their favourite bars but that, they, that they've been they, to they, in the last they've, year. They've had to visit it. You can't just read about somewhere. And it also can't be somewhere, as you said, that if they visited 13 months ago or two years ago, doesn't count. It has yeah. to be in the last 12 months. Yeah. So that's why it kind of you see the same names popping up because, you know, people, the, all the 50 best judges will tend to go there and they mm. probably will have been there. So you tend to kind of lift higher in the rankings. Yeah. Um, so that was maybe Sammy. It's It's been on the list for the last few years. And it's a real like um, haute couture kind of um, cocktail bar. Yeah. Super theatrical. Yeah you know, bubble, like bubbles that kind of explode into drinks and... Bags <laughs> of kind of like smoke and things like mm, that. Delicious yeah. and impressive and fun. Like, you know... Have you um, been there? I haven't been there. <laughs> I haven't been there either. But, yeah. but our Sydney editors have been, you know, our big fans. Yeah. And, and they own a few bars around Sydney now. El Primo Sanchez was their most recent opening. They're expanding. But, but yeah, maybe Sammy seems to be quite the Australian name on the international so yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. Yes. So there's like, I love caretakers so much. Probably one of the saddest things. There's a few issues. One of them is there's only one toilet. One toilet. Oh, no. I know. So if you caught short that you have to go to like a nearby like food court. Okay. And Grab a snack, come back. Yeah. So it's, it really is tiny. And the second is like everybody is knowing about it. Yeah. So it can be hard to, well, to get a drink. But we're a bit uh, guilty, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're guilty um, on that. We're promoting this place. Yeah. But you won't regret it. I, I just, I'm seeing myself in summer like... Chilling out with one of those super cold martinis on the terrace. Now there Good was times. let's I think we should mention as well that the World's Fifty Best also release they've got their fifty list and then they do this long list that they announced the week or two before. And Melbourne had another bar mm. included on that one, which is Birdie, which Birdie. is an experimental cocktail bar in Emporium. Yes. In the C B D. Yeah, that's probably more that traditional mold of like really kind of wow, yeah. eye popping. Taste but exploding cocktails that you've never had before. Yeah. Um, a little kind of lab um, that's in a Lab center. is the best way to describe it, I think, as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. And like really amazing ice and just like attention to detail. High. High. Okay. 
Michael, you might have a bit of trouble getting into Caretaker's Cottage now. No, shame. I know. Problem. <laughs> just call ahead. Can you call ahead? No. No, just I don't have think to, they have just a have phone. To move in. Yeah. <laughs> Hang around. Yep. Photography Real and Imagined is the largest exhibition of the NGV's photography collection in the institution's history. There are 300 photographs by Australian and international photographers, including some of the world's most iconic photos. Susan Van Wyck is the Senior Curator of Photography at the NGV and she joins us today to talk about the show. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for having me. 2023 and photography is a very different time to when some of these f- photographs were taken. You know, our phones are cameras and there's editing software at the touch of a button. In looking at some of the artists and photographers that are featured in this show, I wondered whether they would roll in their graves to know kind of what photography's become or whether you think they'd be excited that it's become such a democratic medium. I think that's a really interesting question and it really goes to the heart of Photography essentially being a really new medium. I mean, Mm. it's less than 200 years that people have been making photographs. And I think it's always operated at the cutting edge of technology. Mm. I mean, obviously those technologies change and they're constantly changing and expanding. But I think because of its relationship to new ways of making images right from the outset in the 1840s, Those possibilities have always been something that's been interesting and exciting for photographers. So I suspect rather than rolling (laughs) in their graves, they were, you know, possibly wishing they had some of the the tools that photographers and artists have today. Mm. I've always thought of photography as also one of the most accessible artistic mediums. I think painting and sculpture, performance art can feel intimidating to some people, Abstract paintings might be the kind of works you feel you need to understand a bit of context and history about. You don't necessarily, it can just be about the way they make you feel. But photography is so immediate. It feels like such a democratic and accessible, unintimidating medium. I've always loved art and engaged with art, but photography was one of the artistic formats I think that early on I, I really fell for and that I really loved and everything from, you know, Irving Penn's beautiful black and white photos, which were painterly in, in some ways, to some of the works that are actually in this exhibition. One of them is a photographer called Alex Prager, who I, I love, who just creates these incredibly dynamic, bright, vivid sets with hundreds of extras on them. It can take you between reality and fantasy, and that's what this show is about. Yeah. I mean, this exhibition, the title really gives it away, Real and Imagined, And it's really looking at the way photography can move between those two elements. Sometimes an image sits in both, in Mm. a sense. Sometimes it just does its own thing entirely. But I think Alex is a great example of an artist who works completely within that realm of imagination. Her image making is informed by histories of cinema, histories of television the aesthetics of the mid-20th century. She's based in Los Angeles and she works a lot in film studios and she uses Mm. those extraordinary facilities, those film sets, and brings in actors and she brings in extras and models and friends and creates these extraordinary 
tableau which look like giant hyperreal film stills. Mm. They're, they're amazing images. Let's talk about Man Ray's Kiki with African Mask, which has is, is called different things in different places. Can you describe that for us? It's the it's I think that's one of those works that people won't know by name. I certainly didn't, but I know the image when I see it. It's a great work and it's really one of the icons, not just of the photography collection, but of the NGV mm. collection as a whole. So it's a 1926 print, printed by Man Ray. Um, it's a studio photograph of his model, Kiki, and Kiki is holding an African mask, a black ebonised wood, wooden mask. And it's a really interesting image because it speaks to Man Ray as an artist constructing images and setting up this dialogue between the animate and the inanimate. Kiki's face is painted quite white with mm. her makeup, so it's setting up this dialogue and this contrast between the whiteness of her flesh and the deep, really rich black tones in the mask. But more than that, it's it's really highlighting the fact that at this point in time in the 1920s in Europe, there was a fascination with cultural material from African communities. The other thing that's really significant with this work and something that really needs to be unpacked is, of course, that the woman, Kiki is named, the mask is not, the, the community that it's from is not indicated. Mm. The maker of that mask is no longer known. So in a sense, the identity of the coloniser is known mm. and the identity of the colonised is not. So it's a really interesting work that speaks across many, many issues. And beyond that, it's an extraordinarily beautiful image. And it was originally published in French Vogue, which which is what I love and, again, I think a reason that photography is such an accessible art form. In this exhibition, you have got photos that came from photojournalists or magazines, so people like Henri Cartier-Bresson that was not, I mean, street photographers, magazine photographers, whatever you want to call them, as well as people who would describe themselves as artists rather than photojournalists, and that means that you get such a breadth of work in there. I think people might think, I know what a photo is, I think this exhibition shows, mm, no, it's maybe not what you think it is or it's it's got more breadth and depth and texture than you think it might. I think that's one of the really interesting things about photography is it has such a breadth of different histories of the use of the medium. So, yeah, quite right. Man Ray was published in Vogue. Vogue in the 1920s ran articles on avant-garde art all the time. It was mm. a really significant part of what they published in every issue. Um, so images, photographs have a life in print, they have a life in exhibitions, they operate in the commercial sphere. So there are examples of work in the exhibition that are fashion photographs and advertising photographs. There's the documentary, there's images which were made to illustrate books. All of these things appear there. And one of the things that I love about photography and working with photography in an art museum context is there are moments when the history of photography aligns really neatly with, say, the history of painting. And so you can place things side by side and they speak to each other really directly. And then that 
There are other times when photography and photographers are doing entirely their own thing Mm. and not producing work that responds to the paintings of the day. So Mm. there are so many touchstones within the exhibition. One of the photos I wanted to talk about was the photo of Gough Whitlam. I think especially now that photo is going to be meaningful for people to see, emotional for people to see. Can you describe that one for us and who took it? So it's a really powerful image. It's from 1975 and it's by Mervyn Bishop. And what the photograph shows is then Prime Minister Gough Whitlam pouring a handful of soil into the hand of Vincent Lingari, the traditional um, landowner of the site where they're meeting, which was a place called Wattie Creek. It marks the moment of recognition of traditional ownership of this land. And it's an incredibly powerful image because of the connection between these two men Mm. that's evident within the photograph. So, of course, there were mul- this was a historic moment. There were multiple photographs made by multiple photographers at this time. But this image by Bishop shows this point of connection between these two men. And it is a very emotional image. It, mm. it carries so much of our recent history in this single frame. So it's, it's a wonderful work. Uh, looking at the image in the wake of the voice vote and referendum, I think it's a beautiful image anyway, but it did feel particularly resonant now and brought up a whole lot of feelings that I think it'll be one that people gravitate to in in the exhibition. I agree. It's an extraordinarily powerful image and it transcends the time in which it was made. 1975 is a long time ago, but it's hard not to look at this image and, as you say, particularly right at this moment in our history and not feel a really powerful range of emotion when you look at it and the hope and possibility that that image carries. Mm. I think it will speak to people today and into the future. One last tableau-style picture I wanted to talk about, which was taken in the 1980s in Thatcher, Thatcher time, and you've got these this group of people on a beach. It looks like it could be set up. There are groups of people... There's a lot going on and then there's a man sitting on a sun lounge who looks like he's oblivious to all the action around him. Could you talk a little bit about that photo? Because, again, I think that's one that it could have been set up or it might not have. Now, we know it it, it wasn't and I think I I would really love people who go to the exhibition to see this image and then also go and look at the Alex Prager just for that sense of which one's real, which one's not. But if you could just talk a little bit about that one. That was one of my personal favourites when I looked through uh, the catalogue. Oh, I'm glad. I'm really glad because that's an image that I love. It's by a British photographer, Chris Steele Perkins, and it's from a series of photographs that he made in Blackpool, which is a beachside town, a holiday town in the UK. And it's the 1980s, as you said. It's Britain under Thatcher, Mm. and it shows this really diverse groupings of people on this beach, which, you know, looks like a pretty ordinary beach, frankly. The water looks pretty murky. The sand's pretty grey. It doesn't look very warm. It's not Bondi. It ain't Bondi, no. But everyone's there determined to have a good time, to be on holiday in this place. So you've got groups of children. 
you've got this very sad, sad looking donkey with children on its back being mm. led up the beach. This is what I mean by it, it looks like it could have it looks like it could have been set up. It's but it but it wasn't. No. No. So it's an image that captured all of this activity that was ha- happening on this beach and distilled something of that place into a single frame and when you encounter it in the exhibition, by the time you get to it, you've walked through a room that has a whole lot of constructed narrative images like Alex Prager's. And then you get to this work and you're right. It could be set up. It could be a miniature Jeff Wall photograph, but it's not. Mm. It's a documentary image of a place at a time. I'm so excited for this show. And it's the kind of show where we don't really get to see very often, like something dedicated to photography such a comprehensive photography survey is, it's rare. So a great thing for Melbourne to have. Photography Real and Imagined is on at the NGV until the 4th of February, 2024. So lots of time, not just to go once, but to go many times. It's free. I'll be doing that. And there's also free guided tours every Thursday and Sunday at 10.30am while the show's on. Thank you very much, Susan, for joining us. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell your friends and leave us a review. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening now. Listener.